Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello, 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 and welcome uh, to the show, she said poetically. How you doing? It's uh, Monday morning here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's, uh, I don't even know what day it is. It's October 20, 21st. Um, I'm still, I just want to, let's just get it right out here on the table before we begin. I am still under the weather, I believe is the uh, term. And, um, Thank you for there calling Call-In Studios host coffee. and call screener line. Please enter your show number and press pound. And I apologize for that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just going to soldier on, as they say. And uh, Jesus, God, I'm so sick enter and tired your six of being digit sick. I'm number. tired. I, I just, I'm sorry. Okay. It shows how much I consider you all friends that I can sit and moan in your ear. Uh uh, the state of the world isn't helping either, you know. Welcome, host. Man. You are now in the host Jeez. room and can manage your callers from the Colin Studio web interface. And I think it's it's good that we know history. I don't know why we thought we were immune from it, you know, that what people did, let's say, a hundred years ago, uh, what choices they made, things they did, uh, were things that we could look at and and judge and uh, be astonished by, be appalled by. And then we find ourselves living in a time uh, that is fraught in many of the same ways as times we learned about in history. And you look around and you think, are we any different? Will we make the same mistakes? Will we make the same choices? Will we do the right thing? Will we do the easy thing? Will we equivocate? Will we be forthright? And I think what we discover is that we are no different. than those people we read about in history books. We are the same. We have the same kinds of aspirations, the same kinds of fears. And we're inclined to do the same things they did. That's why it's important to know our history. Because if we know what mistakes were made in times like these in the past, it gives us a chance that we will not repeat them. That we're living in a fraught time is uh, obvious. And if it is not obvious to someone, then they're, they're not paying attention for lack of a, a, a better phrase. I have lived um, Jesus, a long life already. 
and I have always been interested in what is happening. So even as a kid, I would read Time magazine cover to cover. I would, uh, for fun, read the World Book Encyclopedia in my house. Remember when your houses had encyclopedias? And I remember always sort of being stunned <laughs> by what people were capable of and always stunned by how often people made the wrong choices. And now here I am living in it at a time in our country where I do think that choices we make now will determine whether or not this noble experiment known as the United States of America will be able to continue on its imperfect trajectory or if it will in fact begin a steady and steep decline into an ignominious oblivion. In the summer of 1950, I was alive. I suspect many of you were not. I was alive. And the America was flush with the victory of World War II and our newfound standing as the behemoth on this globe. But there was another potential behemoth on the globe, too, and that was the Soviet Union. And so... Uh, the Cold War. And Senator Joseph McCarthy of my home state of Wisconsin, taking from the playbook that the Republicans would continue to use up until these times, to sow fear, to sow division, and with very little fact to back up their claims. In fact, often with lies, McCarthy would hold up, and I have here a list of communists working within our very government. They're in the State Department. They're in our Congress. It's history now. But a lot of people lived through it. A lot of lives were ruined by his lies and by the cowardice of those in his own party and, frankly, in the opposition party initially to take him on for fear of looking like they were accomplices to the commies. It was a woman Margaret Chase Smith it was a woman who amazingly was in the Senate of the United States she was the only woman 
in the Senate of the United States. She was from Maine. She was a Republican. And in the summer of 1950, Margaret Chase Smith tried to warn her party that they were throwing in with a demagogue in Joseph McCarthy and that they would rue the day they lacked the courage to stand against him. And this gray-haired Republican woman, I always remember thinking of her as something otherworldly because I, as a young child, knew no women in positions of power. And there she was, and she would stand there with these men. And on that day, she said this, I don't want to see the Republican Party ride to political victory on the four horsemen of fear ignorance, bigotry, and smear. Huh. Strange, because, you know, we could say the same now. Where is the Republican standing up now? Hmm? Almost 70 years later to call the party to account like this lone woman in the U.S. Senate did in 1950. I don't want the Republican Party to ride to victory on the four horsemen of fear, ignorance, bigotry, and smear. How little things have changed. She went on, I doubt if the Republican Party could, simply because I don't believe the American people will uphold any party that puts political expediency above national interest. Surely we Republicans are not that desperate for victory. She was wrong. They were that desperate. And her appeal fell on deaf ears, little reported, four more years Joseph McCarthy would hold this country in a state of terror, with people turning on people, with lives ruined, careers ruined, lies the order of the day, show trials. And during that period in the early 50s, this country, because of what the Republican Party allowed to happen, pulled so far away from its ideals and so far to the right that we are feeling the effects to this day.
And that's why Donald Trump feels so sure. Not that he's a student of history. But he has reason to believe, up until maybe the last day or two, that the Republicans would continue to cravenly acquiesce to every lie that comes out of his mouth, every outrage that he perpetuates by virtue of his power as the president. It took something so outrageous, an open breach of the Constitution, his naming his own resort as the location of the next G7 meeting in 2020. It is brazen, a crime committed just flat out in public view. Because as he so famously said before he even reached the White House, I could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and no one would do a thing. We're seeing a little hint of pushback now. I personally... I'm not getting too excited by it. Until I see more Republicans who have the balls that Margaret Chase Smith had in 1950 step up and remember that they took an oath not to defend Donald Trump, that's not what the oath says. They swore with their hand on the family Bible. They swore to defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies. And that includes the President of this country because he is a clear and present danger to this country the likes of which in my lifetime I have never seen we're seeing little cracks I got to see bigger ones. But you do know when you get a little crack. <laughs> Generally speaking, unless something is done very quickly, it leads to another little bit of a fissure, right? And then maybe another, and then a destabilization, and then who knows, a dam might be breached, right? You breach a dam? Well, you can. It breaks. We can hope, but hope ain't going to do a damn thing. We need to act.
it's so obvious what Trump's, where Trump has gotten us. Slowly. Slowly. So that we're not as outraged over something today that would have had us gobsmacked last year. He now is clearly showing that he thinks this is going to work. That if I commit these crimes in public, it won't count. Because it is such a brazen act that people watching me commit this crime in public will think to themselves, well, he wouldn't have done it in public. Right there, in front of us, if it were a crime. Nobody would do such a thing. (laughs) This is how brazen he is. And you know what it is like? Getting back to the Germans here and the Nazis. You know what it is like? It is like Hitler's propaganda minister saying that if you're going to lie, make it a big one. Make it an audacious lie. Exactly for the same reason. Because people will say, well, he wouldn't possibly have said the sky is purple if it weren't. He couldn't possibly say that up is down if it weren't. So Goebbels said, and he was right, don't do a little lie. Do a big lie and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it until it becomes the truth. We're living this now. It is astonishing to see how a good two-fifths of our country, men and women, believe the sky is purple and up is down and will go to the mat for anything that this repulsive human being says. Wow. That is so much more terrifying than Trump himself because we can impeach him. We can even maybe convict him. But what do we do with our neighbors? What do we do with these people who are willing to throw everything that is good about this country out the window? What are we going to do? How do we remake a country with them? And I am so sick of people saying, we're so divided, we have to reach out. How do you reach out? 
I don't know how to get from my universe to their universe. I really don't. I think they've got to be beaten badly until they skulk. Oh, I cannot get your emails. If you're emailing me, um, please resend to my old uh, account, cullenshow at yahoo.com. Okay? Cullenshow at yahoo.com. I really would appreciate it because Lynn at PGH City Paper is... <coughs> Supposedly I'll have it back tomorrow, but who knows? Cullenshow at yahoo.com. I do have a call. Are they still there? Caller, go ahead, please. Hello. Hello. Yeah, um... I agree with you on that, uh, Trump. I'll believe it when I see it, when they knock him out of there. And I I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going to be in there. My concern is the Democrats getting the right person to take over those states that he won. That is going to be tricky. And it, I could see him pulling off again now. I mean, I'm not going to say it. it's not impossible, but... I just, I don't know. At this well, point, I just, it's up in the air, I, I think. I understand. And None of really us know. None of us know because we can't look into the future. Um, but I would say that Democrats nope. tend to be uh, cautious to a fault. I would say that Democrats are easily made scared because we tend to, but what if, and on the other hand, and blah, 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 and yeah, 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 and oh, but those people won't, and you know what? we got to cut that out, and we have just got to do what we think is right and then explain that to the people. And if anybody is going to get us elected, it will be Donald Trump, for God's sake. I cannot believe, and if it is true, that again, a majority of Americans, even with the help of the Russians and others, think Donald Trump should have four more years to finish off his destruction of the United States of America, then it's over, okay? We either win this election coming up or it's over. Uh, and another thing, do you notice the outrage of Syria and there's no talk of Yemen and the Yemen people being slaughtered by the Saudis which weapons that we gave them. There's no talk of that at all. Right. That's okay. No, it's not so okay. It's like, but it, no, we didn't pay It's not okay. It's a genocide. Oh, okay. And it's like we oh. pick and choose who we want to, you know. Yeah. So it gets back to the old thing. Okay. Yeah, but you're okay, the guy. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. I mean, but. Okay. Bye. I won't get into it, but. Um, I want to say something else. I'm sorry. I'm so. um doom uh, i mean but I, there's reason why i'm all doom and gloom <laughs> i think i see things pretty clearly i just want to say this i'm an old lady um i'm over 70 years old uh when i get sick i don't get well as quickly 
Um, I don't have the energy I had. I just am saying this because I want to say I think Nancy Pelosi is the most amazing human being ever. I, I thank God for her. How does she do it? Can you imagine? Thank you when for calling Calling Studios host and call screener line. Please enter it, your show number and press pound. On our television screen, she shows up, you know, looking great, wearing friggin' heels, I mean, I mean, makeup on, her hair done. Um, and enter your six-digit pin number. is right now the person leading welcome the resistance host. To you are now in the host room and can manage your callers we from the Collins studio web interface consequential globally consequential battle going on right now and the two leaders are Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi make no mistake and that while she's doing this most important job of impeaching the president, of running the House of Representatives, of being, after the vice president, next in line to be the president of the United States, and she's in her late 70s, she is, what, hopping on an airplane and going to Afghanistan, and then traipsing off to Jordan, trying desperately to reassure what used to be our allies, that this madness will not stand. And I just want to point out that while she is doing this, and she's on her way back now, right? Maybe she's back already. No weekends for her. No eight-hour days for her. Her brother does. Here is a woman who has lost in the last week one of her best friends and political allies, Elijah Cummings of Baltimore. And now her brother... And she doesn't have time to go to funerals. She doesn't have time to pay respects. She has to grieve and stuff her grief somewhere. Somewhere, I don't know. Be Some people won't vote for a woman for president. They think, what, women aren't strong enough? May I suggest that they take a look at two of the most remarkable human beings in our government. They're both old. They're both, they both weigh probably under 110 pounds. Nancy Pelosi, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Where would we be without them? And some people just don't think a woman can do it. 
Speaking of Elijah Cummings, I want to point out that one of the last things we heard him say while he was chair of the Oversight Committee, and it was at the time something that made the news, he said, when we're dancing with the angels, the question will be asked. In 2019, what did you do to make sure we kept our democracy intact? That's the question. That he would be dancing with the angels a month later. And he, and he will be able to answer that question. I want all of us to find within ourselves the strength to work half as hard as Nancy Pelosi, to have half the strength and character of Elijah Cummings. When I was learning how to type, it's back in the 50s again, the, fra the phrase that, I don't know, that I, I did it from a record. Uh, a woman would say, F, F, F space j j j space and we got to the point where we would type like sentences and one that i remember typing over and over again and i don't know whoever said it is now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of their country it had such a rhythm about it and I got really good. Now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of their country. And I was thinking about that phrase this weekend. And except for the men part, <laughs> it was the 50s. Um, Uh-oh. Something is going not right with our audio. Something probably with your phone system set up is coming over the Internet over my voice. A few people are telling me. Thank you for telling me. Huh? So we'll try to get that under control. Um, okay. So uh, thank you, Roger. Thank you, David. And thanks for using uh, Cullen Show at Yahoo. So I got that. Um, Cullen Show at Yahoo.com. And we'll try to get that under control. Um, there was a uh, front page piece in the Wall Street Journal uh, today uh, that um, should give uh, Trump some concern although of course the opinion page didn't mention him 
when when there's when it's totally indefensible, they sort of you know they they just shut up and point at other things. Uh, but front page, they say things like his margin of for error with his fellow Republicans is being reduced. And they go into all the things that happened over the weekend. The Mulvaney, unbelievable. Mulvaney telling the truth. Mulvaney telling the truth. (laughs) And then, of course, having to walk it back. How do you walk back the truth? Well, it turns out you don't. Um, the Republican senator, I think from Florida, who said essentially that, I mean, he said it, you don't walk it back, and then, and then proceeded to suggest that um, he might be uh, open to impeachment. Amazingly, the Wall Street Journal also reported that after Mulvaney finished that unbelievable jaw-dropping appearance, when he, again, probably because he's learned from Trump, where he just brazenly said, yeah, we do it, we did it, get over it. He apparently left the podium, walked back to the communications office, feeling pretty damn good. I'm not kidding. And he walked into the office where the communications director, uh, Stephanie Grisham, sat, and he said, how'd it go? That's how clueless these people are. And according to the Wall Street Journal, Stephanie said, uh, there's a couple of things we're going to have to uh, clean up. This is the brain trust that now surrounds the President of the United States. Here is a quote from uh, Ted Cruz's former communications director. He says of the White House, it's systematic mismanagement. Republicans see it. We just have to remind them of their oath. And it's not courageous for Mitch McConnell to write an op-ed saying he disagrees with foreign policy moves in Syria. That's not what Mitch McConnell needs to do. These guys need to stop tut-tutting every once in a while because clearly what happened with choosing the Doral for the G7 is there was no defense possible. Just like Mulvaney has found out, there is no defense. 
That's the thing. If you decide you're going to commit crimes right out in front. He said this. I, maybe you heard it, but I sure as hell didn't. He said this. This is the President of the United States. He was telling them how easy it was to be presidential. Saying, I know how to be presidential. His tie. He pursed his lips and squared his shoulders and then put his arms at his side and he said this. Ladies and gentlemen of Texas, it is a great honor to be with you this evening. The troglodytes roared in approval. And so he went back to being himself as president. And he said, being president, Mickey Mouse, it doesn't matter. If he is reelected, this country is done. Finished, over, it's done. There'll be no coming back then. And welcome to a world, by the way, where the global behemoth is China. And we'll get back together in 10 years, and let me see how you like living all those people who think we shouldn't be in these endless wars and why we always have to police everything and why do we have to do everything. Well, there are responsibilities when you don't want it for yourselves, you don't want it for your children, you don't want it for your grandchildren. And if you do, you're a fucking fool. I want to note the passing of an important man, a great man, a man who saved the lives of, I can't even imagine, millions of women? I don't know. Maybe. He died last week in Pittsburgh, his home. He was born here, raised here, East Ender, Taylor Alderdice, Pitt, and then stayed on at Pitt as a researcher, as a professor, as a scientist, as a doctor. Bernard Fisher, who saved the lives of I gotta believe hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of women. And if not their lives, the quality of their lives. And this was a guy, a giant of science and medicine, who was vilified by the medical establishment. Vilified. Ended up being hauled before the Congress humiliated 
he will go down in history as one of the scientific and medical greats. He's the guy who figured out, and through study and research, he proved that the way doctors, overwhelmingly men, they took your breasts, they took your lymph nodes, they took sometimes even a rib or two, they mutilated you to the extent that women who had these radical uh, mastectomies could often not use their arms well. They couldn't raise them. Or their, their arms would swell with, with lymph fluid. They were scarred, weakened, and many died. It was all based on a totally incorrect assumption about how cancer spreads. And Fisher thought, that's not, I can't, that's, I, I can't believe that's how it works. And we've got to figure this out. And so he started a study, the University of Pittsburgh. He started a study in which he got over a thousand women and he put them in three groups. One would receive the radical mastectomy. One would uh, have just a simple mastectomy in which just a breast was cut off, not the lymph nodes, not any of the surrounding tissue. And then another where they would have the simple mastectomy and then radiation. There was such a hue and cry about his study being done, saying that he was going to kill women who enrolled, that doctors wouldn't allow their patients who had cancer to be part of his study. He had to go to Canada to find enough women to do his study. And in 1977, the results came in. And lo and behold, the women who simply had the minimal breast removal fared every bit as well as the ones who were deformed. There was no difference in the reoccurrence of cancer or in the rate of metastasism. He bucked everything. And who has had a diagnosis of breast cancer after 1980 owes Dr. Bernard Fisher a, an extraordinary debt of gratitude.
as I said, he was hauled before. I, I remember this went on for years that he was vilified. He was vilified. He was like a leper. And at the time he said this, the great tragedy of this beside any harm to me, and he won. He received millions of dollars in settlement. He received apologies from both. The former director of the National Cancer Institute said this, he was the most hated surgeon in the history of mankind. I sometimes wonder how he survived. He was one tough guy. He was right. He died last Wednesday here in Pittsburgh at the age of 101. Bernard Fisher, one tough guy. I have the pleasure of knowing his daughter who cared for him during his last years for both her parents. Uh, Louisa. A remarkable woman too. Bernard Fisher, raise a glass to him. Oh God, guys, I'm sorry. Listen, if for some chance I don't show up here sometime this week, I just want you to know it's because I am I I don't I'm not Nancy Pelosi. I think that's it. I am uh I'm not Nancy. All right, I'll get off this. Except for this. A professor of psychiatry at Harvard um, has said that, you know, Trump, of course, is a pathological narcissist, but he said, in a way, I have to say that he gives narcissism a bad name um, to say that he is just a narcissist, gives narcissism a bad name. Narcissists are not as bad as Donald Trump. He's more than a narcissist. He is like the uber narcissist and this doctor went on to say his grand grandiosity and paranoid retaliatory behaviors are so far beyond those shown by ordinary <laughs> narcissists that he really does require a category beyond narcissism and this doctor said I don't know maybe we call him a destructive dictator he said because like Stalin like Hitler the personality of a grandiose paranoid dictator narcissist who wants to destroy all his enemies who 
only, only cares about his own interests. That puts him far beyond the definition in uh, the diagnostic uh, manual of mental disorders of simple narcissism. And it brings us, says the psychiatrist from Harvard, into a more dangerous zone. The danger, of course, being to our country. And then someone else writing into the New York Times said this, and this, this is what drives me crazy, said this, a smug, superior stance aided by fancy psychiatric diagnosing by people who are understandably horrified and appalled by Trump's style and policies only serves to further alienate his base. Let's bridge this empathy chasm and heal our nation. Well, if speaking truth alienates his base, then what are we supposed to do? Lie? If speaking the truth alienates his base. It is up to us to somehow reach out and what? What? <laughs> I, no one answers that question for me. What? If saying the emperor wears no clothes, appalls all the people who for some reason see clothes on him, on this naked horror. What are we supposed to do? I don't understand. I was taught to speak the truth as I understood it. And I, I have to admit that after uh, being a grown-up in the world for a while, I did one time say that my parents did not um, prepare me well for the world because they had brought me up to tell the truth. And when I went into the world, I saw that truth-tellers are often maligned, that truth-tellers don't necessarily get ahead. That is, those, in, in fact, quite the opposite, those who lie, those who claim credit for things they didn't do, those who say that they didn't do something they did, those who kiss asses, those who fudge truth. I looked at the corporate world, and I saw, well, they lie all the time. 
Even a statement like so-and-so has decided to pursue other interests. That's a lie. Everybody knows it's a lie. They fired him. And how corporate speak is a lie. And so if you're a naive soul whose parents told you to tell the truth, they did not prepare you for success in corporate America. They did not prepare you for success, apparently, in the political sphere, we are finding out. No, in fact, if a parent is doing their job properly, they should make sure that their little kitties know how to lie really well. And now we have a liar-in-chief for them to look up to, to learn from. You have all the people around him lying. You can turn into a so-called news station and have people supposedly telling you the truth lie right to your face. Then we don't deserve the promise of this country. We don't. Sorry for being a bummer. And sorry for my continued incapacity, but I'll say it again. I ain't Nancy Pelosi.